Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. And thank you, Dick Warren Spirit, wherever you may be. Uh, hello, everybody, to another edition of The Coaching Show. Today, we're recording this on December 1st of 2021. Happy December, Alex Terranova. <laughs> happy December. I've never, I don't think anyone's ever happy december me before. You know, you have, you can have many firsts uh, if you hang with me, kid. All right. So that would be the voice of Alex Terranova, professional certified coach, because you have to say it that way. Uh, you're available at thedreammason.com. People can find you on the Insta, which I understand is very unpopular, uh, at Inspirational Alex. What have you been doing, man? It's been a couple of weeks since I've seen you. I know. It feels like we haven't recorded in, I guess we haven't recorded in weeks, right? I was gone. I was in Tulum. We took a few weeks off for the holidays. I don't know. I was, right. just, I was just over here, like falling in love, traveling. You know. So it's going very well. People that have followed you know that you you did this Tulum dating experiment, which was kind of a ripoff of The Bachelor. But you had a bunch of uh, people say that they wanted to date you, which I don't know what the hell's happening there. And then uh, you you had a panel of judges, friends and, and uh, colleagues who judged these people or decided who would be a good person for yeah, you. These tell people. us what happened in, in like uh, yeah i think my panel our wonderful guests yeah my panel of uh my committee i don't know that they were judging the people but yes they were looking for who was the best match and they they picked somebody evan and evan would have been my choice also and i think um and evan said yes evan chose me as much as i chose her and we went to tulum for two weeks almost uh We've dated for a month before we went to Tulum, went to Tulum for two weeks, had an incredible trip. We've been back for a couple of weeks now, did Thanksgiving with my family. Uh, it's going great. I uh, I think the thing that I would share, and, and I should say that like, it went so well that Evan and I are trying to figure out how to create this so other people can experience what we created. Um, but I think the, the biggest this share is like the intentionality of it, right? This is the coaching show. We talk about coaching. We talk about supporting people. And the thing that we look at is we, I created intention and focus and a goal and the way I wanted to be about the experience. And she was off in her world, kind of creating the same thing, but not in a contest form. And uh, it had us find each other. And then it set us up on a great foundation to, to build something, I think. All right. Well, you, you know my theory about relationship, right? Which is, them. of course, it's perfect now. <laughs> of course, it's perfect now. You call me, you call me, we'll talk here after your first, like, real fight. You know, the first time that there's a big breakdown or you go on some trip and it's not so magical and you're, like, blaming each other and, like, I should, never should have gone here and all that stuff. Let's talk then, okay? Yeah, I met your wife this, uh, really met her and got to spend some time with her this week at your birthday party. So I understand why you're saying that because, you know, she told me all about, you know, you, but... For the rest of us, um... <laughs> I thought I I thought I had an injunction against you speaking to my wife. Well, I'll have to talk to my attorney about that. Yes, I turned uh, I turned a zero birthday. Now you've got a zero birthday coming up, and you were generous enough to give me your idea uh, for your birthday so that I could do it for my birthday party, which was a comedy roast. How do you think it went? Well, I I, I think that we should have made people watch a roast before we did it because I don't I think you know when you take a lot of people that are committed to love and being a lot of people in your life are committed to love and being and they're very aware and they're very intelligent and yeah. you tell them to roast you you know they're like oh that's mean that's not very nice and so I think people I think I, I think that people were very nice and said the lovely things about you and told very stories but I think most of them did not roast you uh, I roasted you and people, the hecklers from the crowd were like, the you're mean, he's it's mean. True. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't like that at all. They were ready to cut you. Yeah. Um, I mean, they should have heard the jokes I wrote about other people, but we didn't go there because, you know, you got to know your time and place. But I thought, I think, you know, from, as an experiment, uh, I learned a lesson that I probably won't be doing a roast for my birthday because I think people need more prep, more time. Uh, but one day. Maybe my 50th and I'll give people 10 years to start writing the jokes. That won't make them better, just so you know. All right. Uh, yeah. So there's um, 
I want to get to our guest. There's there's maybe more to say about that. And we both had adventures. I went to Venice in the in the winter time, and you went to Tulum. So we've had adventures. But I, I think we should get to our guests. And one of the things that I'm going to use as a segue is, you know, when we have zero birthdays, I think we don't talk about it very much. But there's grief involved, right? Especially, uh, you know, there's the paths not taken, the the opportunities not pursued, the dreams not fulfilled on and and the denoting of time passing, right? And and for many of us, that experience is fewer options. So with that foreboding <laughs> intro, I'd like to bring in our, our guest today. Some people know her as Bad Widow, Alison Pena. Uh, Alison, am I saying your last name correctly? Sorry, it's I'm Alison. That's okay. It's Alison Pena. Pena, thank you. Sorry. In uh, in California, everybody's got an Enya. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look around outside, Alison. Where are you in the world? I am in New York City. And um, yeah, so I'm in New York City and it's a lovely cold day here. <laughs> yes, happy December. Um, so you coach your clients to tap into resilience, to take back their lives after loss. How'd you get into this, this particularly sort of sad area of coaching? What, what I think most of us would relate to as a, as a sad or a, you know, a down sort of under the line area of coaching. Uh, well, what happened was that my, my husband got pancreatic cancer in October 2015 and fought it for 11 months and died in my arms at home, just the two of us in September 2016. So I literally had an experience of going through that illness and that grief of losing capacity, which is sort of part of what you're talking about. So he could play tennis for six hours and then his balance was off or his, um, he had this full head of black hair. And when he started chemo, they said, you're gonna lose hair. So he got a really short haircut. And two days after that, he got on a city bike and his hair started coming off his head and his eyelashes started going. And so there was the grief of seeing him diminished across those 11 months, which is a grief of illness or getting older. You know, you're, you're not gonna climb Mount Kilimanjaro, and I'm set, I'm, I've got it wrong, um, <laughs> um, in your 70s, probably. Right? It's just a reality. And so then he died and I was a widow and we had been together for 25 years. So in 25 years, your lives are wound around each other like vines. And the who I am is really hard to figure out. But suddenly I was there, I was alone, I, I was a widow, I was living in New York. My husband left me hundreds of paintings in a studio. So two incomes to one income. So on one income, an apartment and a studio. Um, and what I found was that there were lots of resources on things like how do you let go of stuff? How do you deal with your finances? But there was nothing that I could find from this really raw place I found myself. So I had planned out my life with my husband. And suddenly there was this wasteland of grief. And I honestly couldn't see an end to it. That was all of the first year. The second year was zero to rage in five seconds. Super were, clear. Yeah. Allison, yeah. since the, uh, as the audience doesn't know, you were, were you in personal development coaching 
prior to losing your husband? I had done some coaching in a different area, which I, I use in the, the work that I do now with grief. I had done something called the affluence code. I created something called the affluence code because I was confused at why everyone couldn't thrive. And what I discovered is that there are three sort of perspectives that people look through, work, relationships, and community. And everybody cares about all of them in some order. After losing someone, after a loss, after grieving a loss, the world's blown up. So everything that I relied on, I was a wife. And then I wasn't. I could work and then I couldn't. I had the attention span of a fruit fly. I literally lost my mind. I could lose an hour, 10 minutes. I walked a block and a half one day in my slippers to an appointment because I didn't know I hadn't put my shoes on until I felt the cold on my heels. So there were some very practical things that happened when you are unexpectedly bursting into tears at any moment and the people around you want to help but don't know how, they say and do really stupid things. And then there's the world around that person, right? And having to interact with that. Yes, so I, I came into this experience and I couldn't find anything that provided some way of going through because I couldn't see an actual horizon. I didn't feel like I was progressing forward in some way. I had to create some way of giving myself little goals. Okay, I can get out of bed today. And one of the things that happens when we're grieving a loss is really wanting to be where we were, but we're not that person anymore. Just not that person. And that's true of grieving any loss. Is is the is this experience the the where this like learning about grief came from? Is it simply through your experience? And did you yes. like did you get resources? Was there support that did come in to help you kind of process and learn the things you're sharing with us now? I am an odd person. So what I do is I deconstruct my own experiences to create solutions. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm in this place and I'm experiencing this raw expanse of nothingness, there have to be other people going through this as well. And because grief isn't something that we talk about, I believe that grief is one of the reasons for what they're calling the the great resignation. Because one of the things that happens with grief is the things that are really important rise up. And we do a lot of going through the motions. You know, you're in a marriage and sometimes the love gets lost with the groceries. Because there's a certain amount of stuff that becomes rote. And so the grief of the loss of not being able to be together over these last couple of years has created a rising up of what matters. That's the gift of grief. Before you can get there, you have to go through a lot. And so I went through the experiences that I was going through and then I came up with solutions. So the first thing that I found was I had to find a way to give myself solid ground when my entire world had blown up. And I found that in myself. And that's the affluence code stuff that I was talking about before. So for me, it's leaning into community. So as I shared what was going on with me and Dave when he was sick and afterwards with my community, I contributed and I was fed. 
Okay, so step one is solid ground, and for you it's community, but for others it could be work or relationship. Exactly. Okay. Whatever the first is. So if it's work, people might say don't work after a loss when you're grieving a loss, but if you feel most at home and most yourself at work, that's absolutely the wrong advice. If it's relationships, it tends to be one to three relationships. And leaning into that can get you back to whole much faster. And community, it's contribution and participation. So those are kind of the three. And if you can stand there, then you can begin to find your way through grieving the loss. Is this, I want to, I want to sort of broaden and then come back to the specifics. Is this in your experience, you've you've worked with a bunch of people in a bunch of different griefing situations, including I love your your framing of the the pandemic as a grief event. Yeah. So are these sort of steps that you've found useful for people, not just with the loss of a loved one, but with other grief related issues? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So step, step one, find the solid ground. Step one, find solid ground. Step two, re-engage. So if we look at what happens when we grieve, we contract. It's natural to contract. Not a problem if you don't stay there. But what you have to do is proactively push out from that contraction and make one small choice. So for me, I decided to get back to work, except I had no memory, I had no energy, and I couldn't focus. So I was a coach who couldn't coach, proofreader and editor who couldn't do that. So I had a friend who had a um, Halloween pop-up store. And I knew that I could hang costumes on a rack for $10 an hour. It wasn't what I had done. It wasn't what I was qualified to do. Didn't have the prestige, right. But it was what I could do. Yeah. And one of the things that people do that really gets in their way is they say, well, but why am I not where I was? When you're grieving, that's not the current truth. And I love the, I love the image of you at a pop-up store. First of all, most of us have had that experience, right? Either as parents or as looking for ourselves. But also, I love the idea of, you know, all these terrible, scary, grotesque things. And you're like, ah, it's got nothing. I got, I got way worse stuff at home. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. This is, but uh, it was a little push out. It was, okay, well, I can't do what I could do, but I can do this. I can start. Because from nothing, you can't build. Is, is there an amount of time that people kind of can expect to be in the nothing before they even start to build? It really varies. I may have moved through it faster because I was really committed to what I kept telling myself was this pain must serve. I was in so much pain that I just kept saying this pain must serve. So I was really focused on finding solutions for myself that could be solutions for other people. But I've had people write me and say, oh, now I understand why I've been grieving for 40 years. So it can be, it can be short, it can be long, it's super individual. Historically, I would say that it's pretty common for the first year to be numbness, those uh, physical experiences, focus, memory, energy, and, um, and just a wasteland of, grie of grieving, of tears, and the second year to go to anger. So that's fairly typical for the first two years, but it can go, you know, five, 15, because it's not a conversation that we have, yeah. people don't move through it very fast. It's individual and communal, but we cut off the communal, which would allow the healing much more quickly. 
is there a moment that you know we're we're in a time where people have lost people for all the reasons we always lose people right and then we have covid which has caused people to so many people to lose people for some a reason that we don't normally expect to lose people um so i just say that as like there's a lot more grieving people and a lot more loss than most of us are uh, accustomed to um is there a is there a moment where it's like, hey, this is a good time to start working with someone like you? Or is it really just like a personal decision? So that's a great question, actually, because what I discovered is that I'm not a grief counselor. There comes a tipping point when someone is willing to push out into that re-engage. That's a great time for me because you have to re-engage in the world. It's not so easy especially if it's been a while, to do that by yourself. Can be done, but not that easy. The second piece is to reinvent yourself. So you're literally not the same person. I had to figure out who I was. What did I like without this man I loved for 25 years? Because especially at the beginning of relationships, which might be relevant to you, Alex, you um, let things go, you give up things, do things less sometimes that you yeah, might you do. not later in life. So I love to go out and sing at open mics and my husband didn't. So I mostly gave that up. And after he died, I took it back. But it was discovering what was his and what was mine in a very proactive way. And it really required just trying things without judgment and seeing what happened. I needed so much that I needed to get really good at asking for stuff. And it feels very shameful to ask to be less than you were before because you look the same. Aside from the bags under your eyes and your <laughs> and your slippers, um, I wonder. I want to uh, talk about your title, Bad Widow, and and of course the the website is badwidow.com. That's b a d w i d o w dot com. What uh, what's the significance there? That seems like a unnecessary shade to throw at yourself. <laughs> well, first of all, it's an awesome branding. Um, it's a great name. And what I discovered was that most widows would just go along. Oh yeah, thank you so much. But I found that people were doing so many things wrong, not because they wanted to hurt me, but because they just didn't know because nobody talked about it. So if you think about how are you, that's a pretty innocuous question, right? Except how are you? Well, my husband just died. I can't see a future for myself. How the heck do you think I am? Right? So it actually wasn't a question that I could answer, but they didn't know. But I yeah. could answer, how are you now? How are you today? And so I started reframing so that these conversations could happen. It's really great. So, uh, yeah, so it also calls into question, I think, you know, good widowhood or widow, widowerhood, right? Like when we lose somebody, we're supposed to be, or society says, or we feel like we need to be a certain way, instead of, I, I hear in that the freedom to be exactly as we are and as we're not. Um, exactly. What else would you, I love that tidbit about not asking people who are going through something devastating, how they are, devastated, thanks um right what what are a couple of other things that that you'd have people shift or change if everyone could listen to your words um very often what happens when someone is grieving a loss is uh they will say something like i'm here from you for you anything you want just ask 
But the only thing, especially if it's a person, but it can be other things. It can be other losses that you're grieving. You know, a divide with a family, a loss of a business, a loss of a job you loved, loss of relationships. These are all things that we grieve. And people act like they haven't had a grief experience. If you've lost anything, including a pet, you've had a grief experience. So it's just not true. But it's so stigmatized, grieving, that it's hard for people to accept that it, it's part of their reality as well. So what's, what's a way that people can help? Don't ask, what do you want me to do? What I recommend is kind of a three-step process, which I talk about in my book. The first thing is talk to them about what's going on with them right now and listen very closely because within what they say, you'll hear what they need. So if they have kids, could you take the kids for two hours so that they could have a shower and cry without scaring them? Uh, if they haven't been getting out and having exercise or haven't been going out to have a meal with someone, could you offer that? Um, and in the listening, you can hear what they actually need without asking them what they need, because the only thing they need and want is their loved one back. And that's not possible. Then suggest that you'll do that thing. Hey, how about I take the kids for three hours? So you can just have some time to yourself. How about if, and then execute with guidance as needed. So I have an example of this. It was March, my family had helped me with rent. And my landlord called me and said, where's the rent? I said, oh, you know, it, it's all set. She said, no, that ended in February. It was March 23rd. I had no idea where the rent would come from. I wrote a blog called Grief, Brain, and Bills, which is on my website, and put it up. And someone who had been following me on Facebook reached out to me within 30 minutes and said, I'll pay your rent. It was my college freshman roommate who I had not seen since the last reunion. Plus, given some of your behavior in college, it's a, it's double amazing. <laughs> exactly. Saying. But but that's really extraordinary, wow. right? That's amazing, Alex. I I, I thanks thank you for sharing that. I love that. We I think we talk so much as coaches about like asking for what you need, share being vulnerable and sharing, and some of us do it and some of us don't, and some of us do it at sometimes, and to to have you know, grief and bills, two things that people don't want to talk about and are uncomfortable and to put yourself out there like that and have somebody just show up. It's, it's like kind of the, it is the magic, but you have to get past that. All those thoughts in your brain that say, I can't tell people I don't have rent money or I can't share this. Um, so I just thank you for sharing that. Um, we're, we're also in a, another time which is the holidays, right? And we, we haven't touched on that because I know um, I recently lost somebody in my life and I, it was the first time I think that like we at Thanksgiving was the first moment where it was like, hey, they are not there. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it was, it was a lot hard, harder for other people at the table that were more the nuclear family. Um, but to all of us, this person wasn't there and this person was a, big personality, they would be somebody who it's clear they're not there. How do, how do people, I don't even know how to ask this, but what do people do during this time, right? These are moments that mark like family, friends that are these giant reminders of often the people that are not with us anymore. Well, what I recommend is planning into those moments because what happens sometimes is someone will hit a, a time when they really realize that that person is gone. They, they will never 
physically be able to see or touch that person again. And it just hits them and they might burst into tears. It's really good to plan out if that happens, what are you going to do in advance? Because in the moment, it just sweeps over you and there's nothing. It's like a tsunami just hit you. So if you can plan for that, there might be a tsunami of emotion that rolls over you in some moment. What do you do? So one of the things that I did was my husband died in September and then I had his birthdays, the 21st of December. You know, I had our 20 year anniversary was October 5th. So I had a whole ton of anniversary events that hit me right after he died. And what I did was I let the people at the gatherings I was going to know that I was really emotional and that I might cry. And I was okay. They didn't need to do anything to fix me because if they stepped forward to try and fix me, I'd get angry. And I can tell you in the first few years, people who are grieving drive away a lot of people between the tears and the anger because they just come over you. And then you'll hear something like, well, just control yourself. It's been a long time. So plan. What are you going to do? Are you going to tell people in advance that you might be emotional? Are you going to say, just step out of the room? If that happens, excuse me for a moment. Are you going to give yourself permission to leave if you need to? If it's too much. But by planning, you can have some level of control over the uncontrollable. This, I love that. And I, I want to kind of underline and, and highlight something. And please correct me if you think I'm wrong, Allison. The, the thing that some of us do, and I noticed I was doing it here by bringing humor to the topic, is we, we try to lighten the mood or lighten something. And it just occurred to me that as, as we're inviting people to our homes for holiday celebrations or to the neighborhood or wherever we're inviting people to, that those people who are grieving, we need to invite their grief as well. Yes. Right. And not be sort of like, well, cheer up and come over for a nice, you know, celebration. But really, like, if you're inviting people who are grieving, or to the degree that we're all grieving with the pandemic, etc. Um, invite the grief as well. Do you have do you have a different view? No, I actually absolutely agree. And know that grief includes humor. So I didn't find the humor unwarranted. Um, there will be people who don't want to talk about who they've lost. There will be people who do, who want to hear stories. So one of the things that you can do is ask, hey, I know you lost this person. Would you prefer we not talk about it because it might bring up some tears or I'd love to share some stories of my experience with that person. Because the other kind of eerie thing that happens is because people don't want to provoke a reaction of emotions, they just don't mention the person, which is really weird. Because for the person grieving, it's the biggest thing in their world. I think that that extends to be so common in all areas, right? We don't, we're so afraid to ruffle a feather or hurt someone's feelings. Like it doesn't matter if it's a grief of a person or a job or an accident that happened, you know, we so don't want to touch it. Um, so, so what I hear you saying is like the planning goes both ways, right? So if, if I'm inviting Christopher over and I know he's grieving, you know, his aging and his thinning hair and um, I want to limited. I, I, I want to plan. Um, I almost want to plan as the as the host or someone if I'm, I'm right as someone who's aware of this, like how I can just bring these things up, right? Like not dance around them, but actually, but then Christopher also on his end, 
would want to also do his own planning of how he does want to share and talk and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And depending on the relationship, it could be as a group or it could be an individual conversation beforehand. You know, it's what's going to make people comfortable? What's going to have, because there's so much stigmatism around grieving, aging, you know, things happening, mental health, but, but behind all of these things, we don't talk about them. And in not talking about them, it's impossible to support the people going through these experiences. I love the call and the constant reminder to talk more. Um, I, I guess I've got two things, and one of them is is personal to you and, and maybe to Alex, but um, uh, I'll, I'll put it in a, in a, embody it in someone else. So I know someone who lost his wife and, uh, you know, to a serious illness that lasted for a while. And then when she passed, many of us in the family thought that he maybe recoupled a little too soon, you know, like it wasn't a year, it wasn't that many months. And suddenly there was a new person on the, on the scene. Now that person, his second wife has passed and once again, we're just a few months past the the service, and there are new women in his life. And I, I guess I want to bring up a few things. One is I'd, I'd love to know if there's anything you want to share about finding love again. But then also, like, you know, I noticed that we as the family sort of have these ideas of how long it should take and how little, you know, like that's too soon and that's too late. And it's kind of a Goldilocks situation. What do you what do you have for us? Yeah, there's a lot of judgment around when you can when you're allowed to seek love again. A lot of judgment. I had someone say at uh, four months that I should be dating again. Um, and someone say at two years that it was too fast when I found somebody. So it's it's a, a variety. It really depends on the person. Men tend to um, find new relationships faster than women do. Largely, I believe, because women create the social community for couples very often. And so when a man loses that by losing a spouse or significant other, it's a big gap that needs to be filled. Um, and so that is the reason I think why men couple faster than women do. For me, um, it was the hardest thing I did. And I, I write about it in my book. Uh, it's risking love. So my husband literally died in my arms at home. He took his last four breaths in my arms. And then I went through this incredibly devastating period. And so I really know viscerally what it is to lose the love of your life. And risking that again was absolutely terrifying. The other thing that happened that was really interesting with regard to grief was that whenever I felt joy or desire actually, uh, grief rose up at the same time. But we think of joy as you're just happy. And that's not true when you're grieving. So if the assessment is that you can only be joyful when you're happy and you're not happy, then you can never be joyful. You see how that's a really flawed equation. That is so good, Allison. I love that. I know that it resonates for me, right? Because you're right, we're, we're trained or taught or conditioned or something that, you know, uh, emotions are discrete and, and separate, right? But you're right, it's like, well, I have joy, desire, and a lot of grief. What do I do now? You know, what do I, this, this is a terrible tasting casserole. Exactly, exactly. But at some point, uh, when my husband died, I was 56, and I decided that I was not gonna live the rest of my life without love. And so I started pushing out. I got on Bumble, which is one of the dating apps. And when I, the last time I had dated was 1992. 
was 2018. Wow. Okay, I assure you dating apps did not exist when I last dated. <laughs> this is this is something I'm very passionate about. You and I, Allison, came up at a time when you would go to a place and the people at that place, that was who you had to choose from, right? Like whoever showed up at the club or the bar that night or the restaurant, that, that was your people. And now everybody's in the club doing the swipe. I don't know how that works, but please keep going. I'm just, I'm just loving this. I assure you, I had no idea how it worked either, but <laughs> it was hilarious. And one of the things that I used it, so the, the reinvent yourself, I didn't know who I liked who I was in relationship. I mean, I was in my thirties and now I was in my fifties. So it was really confusing figuring out what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be with. And so I used it as kind of a testing ground. I would read the profiles and I would look at the pictures and I would just check in with myself. Do I like this? Do I not like this? And, and try stuff. And there was this one guy, um, July 1st, 2018, this one guy who just rose to the surface. He swiped the right way, I swiped the right way. And I said, you know, it's a really hot day. So I'm gonna go to one of these movies and why don't we get together one day? And he said, well, let's go to one of the movies I had said and let's have one day be today. And I said, okay, okay. Now this was after you'd gone through all the budding rap stars and the Kardashians and the you know Wall Street dudes, like all of, all of that. Or this was the first. This was the first foray. First foray. Wow. And actually, that day I had scheduled a date with a different person. So I had two dates that first day after not having dated since 1992. And I was terrified, terrified. And so we went along and I was seriously a hot mess, crying a lot. At one point, I, I told this guy who I now have been with for three years, I told this guy that he might not want to see me until January once I got through all the anniversaries. And then two days later, I called him up and I invited him to go to MoMA with me and meet my mother. So this poor man was getting whiplash with my... <laughs> and the idea of intimacy was impossible. Impossible because I'd been with this one man for 25 years. So nobody else's arm around my waist felt all right. When someone would try to kiss me, I'd have a literal flat out panic attack. But if I wanted love, I needed to push into the discomfort and make my way through. The reason my boyfriend and I have such a solid foundation is because I had to talk my way through all of it. Because otherwise, he might think it was him. And when I would have these disproportionate reactions, so I would want to be kissed, he would go to kiss me, I'd have a panic attack. And jump back, you know, don't touch me, panic attack. Um, I had to look at it and say, is it me, is it him or is it us? And that gave me what I needed to do next. See how I'm, I deconstruct everything because I was looking for solutions to what I was in the middle of. Yeah. And still with this gentleman, that's yes. the, that's perhaps the most uplifting thing I've heard is, you know, he, he made it through the minefield and everything. By the way, there's the title for your next book, Meeting Mama at MoMA. I like that. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, Alex, I'm interested. I, I yeah, actually, it's, well, it's funny. I just heard the opposite. It's like, it's a, um, it's actually, I heard a book in like um, Meeting in the Minefield. And it's, it's, you know, re like finding love after loss. Yep. Um, Alex wins. 
I, uh, but well, I'm, it's funny because I think people, this, I don't even, I'm, I'm relating to what you're saying is it doesn't even have to be to the extent of what you experienced and like you, you were with somebody for, for decades and this loss. Um, I had my, I had never had an experience until I want to say like two years ago where I had been in a relationship that ended and then dated someone and found myself like I would be in bed with this person, this new person. And I would be crying about the old person and yeah. didn't know what was, I didn't really, wasn't really aware of what was happening. They were, I want to say being a good sport because I don't know that they knew what was happening. You didn't know how to talk about what was happening. <laughs> um, and now I think back and it, there's a, there's a, nobody had, nobody had passed. Right. So it wasn't as, as sad as like, no one could ever see anyone again, but there was still grief, right. As we were talking about. Yep. And, um, and all these, these experiences that we were not trained in being with, we don't know how to be with, we don't even know how to talk about. And I think something that really is interesting, like when you, like this gentleman worked his way through the minefield, you know, and Christopher, you said something earlier when we started this conversation about me being in a new relationship and, you know, call you when, when things happen. And something I, I see here is that foundation of how we set up relationships says so much, right? When we're in early, that relationship that I was talking about that didn't work out, we didn't talk about what was happening in that. We kind of like had this, oh, I'm sorry, like I'm, I'm having a moment. And that's something I recognize in like this new relationship is when we've had these moments of uncomfort, vulnerability, where we're actually like, hey, what's going on? And we're actually just putting it out there. And then all of a sudden, it fizzles out, right? The energy, we give the energy to space and it, it goes away. And I, I can imagine that even in a, in the situation that you were with, with this gentleman, is that how it worked also? Like you actually, you had these moments, right? Where you would freak out or whatnot. Did you give it, did you put it right in there and you, you two would talk about it? Or was he kind of, you know, dancing on eggshells waiting to see what would happen? No, no, we, we would talk about it. You know, I had I had one time I had been crying all day and I had a date with him and I wanted to go on the date, but I was a mess and I did not want to know. I did not know if he wanted that. He wanted to deal with that. And I thought of just canceling. And in the end, I decided that he was an adult and he could make his own decision. And so I called and I said, this is what's up. I want to see you. And. I don't know if I'll cry. And I also said, if I cry, I'm fine. Don't try to fix me. It's just tears. And he said it was so great to actually know how to support me because I told him. <laughs> yes, I can't speak for uh, other communities, but in the uh, heterosexual, you know, cisgendered community, I have always been looking for the, the manual of what to do. So thanks for recognizing and being true to your message, right? That we need to be in communication about what actually works on both sides, right? Good for him for checking in and good for you for saying what you need. Yeah, people do a lot of guessing around grief because they don't want to get it wrong. Nobody yeah. wants to get it wrong. So if you can't be really clear about what you actually want, they won't do anything. Right. But they'll offer condolences because that makes us feel better. Right. We're like, oh, I can check that off. I said I sent a nice message. Right. Exactly. Uh, boy, I want to acknowledge you, Allison, because clearly, you know, you have fulfilled on your mission. This pain must serve. And you have had your pain, your step by step awareness of the of the process you've been through really serve people. I want to let people know that the book is The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, subtitled Moving Through Grief to Live and Love Again. It's available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. I'm not thrilled about giving Jeff Bezos more money, but you know, there's, there's the one place we can always find it. Um, is it also available on your website, badwidow.com? Uh, not yet. It will be. Okay, great. And but there are many things available on your website, badwidow.com. In fact, you're giving our listeners a wonderful sort of value add. Do you want to tell them about it or would you like me to? The value add is um, it's designed as a, an add on to the book. So when you buy the book, 
with this particular link that you use on the website, um, I will give you three videos fleshing out the book and a PDF checklist specifically about seeking and finding love. Perfect. That's a very generous gift. And again, you get that by going to badwidow.com. Um, Alex, anything else for Allison today? Any any final thoughts or anything on your mind? I mean, I just, I think this is so timely. So thanks for being here with us and sharing with all that's happened in the world, but also right being smack in the middle of a holiday season um, that I think, you know, regardless of where people are, the holiday season drives it up. So thanks for doing what you're doing and sharing how you're sharing. You are very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed. Uh, Allison, I want to give you our last word today. What what parting thought or parting shot would you leave a few thousand coaches with today? I would say if you're grieving or if you are coaching someone who is grieving, um, trust yourself and encourage them to trust themselves. Grief is a very individual journey and it doesn't have any specific timeline. Things don't happen in a particular order. And allowing someone to be where they are is one of the greatest gifts that you can give them. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Again, the website is Bad Widow. The book is The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live and Love Again. And I thank you very much for being with us. Alex Terranova, you can find that guy at the dreammason.com. Anything coming up that you want to share with the class, Alex? Uh, there's something coming up, but I don't even know how to spoof, how to, how to share it yet. Evan and I are creating something. I think I, I teased this before, but we are creating a, you know, a way to replicate, uh, this Tulum dating experiment with coaching and support. And we've just taken this and, and expanded it even more, but, uh, we're going to launch it, uh, at the beginning of February. So, December and January news is going to come quick on how people can get involved. And it's, uh, it's going to be really exclusive for this first batch of people to kind of take on this experience that, that I so randomly and magically created. Nice. All right. Uh, again, the dreammason.com for all things Alex Terranova. And I'm Christopher McAuliffe. You can find me here each and every week, bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching. Alex and I will talk to folks that you need to know about who are interesting pioneers or just, just darn people you should know uh, right here on The Coaching Show on Accomplishment Media or wherever you get your podcast. You can also check out our longtime sponsor of this show, Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. And I thank you all for being with us. We will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>